So I got, uh, this is the Kyle Style Podcast, and I got a, a story to tell you. It's a story about a mystery, an unsolved mystery, but I'm not Robert Stack. So this is the story about a guy who is either an American hero and a legend, a living legend, or maybe he's just an asshole. <laughs> Hard to say. So this is one of the longest unsolved mysteries uh, in missing persons, necessarily. Um, unsolved crimes in the 20th century. Right? They had every piece of evidence that you would think you would need to be able to catch somebody, and they couldn't catch this guy. So the story begins... Uh, Thanksgiving Eve, November 24th, 1971. A man carrying a black briefcase purchased a one-way ticket on Flight 305, a 30-minute round trip from Portland, Oregon to Seattle, Washington on Northwest Orient Airlines. 30-minute flight from Portland, Oregon to Seattle. He identified himself as Dan Cooper. Flight 305 was a Boeing 727 Dash 100, a three-engine jetliner. He had the two wing engines and then one uh, up in the upper part of the tail, right? And it took off on schedule at 2.50 p.m., approximately one-third full, so not a lot of people on the flight. Dan Cooper, according to witnesses, took a seat in the rear of the passenger cabin. He ordered himself a bourbon and soda and, uh, and lit up a cigarette. Back in the day, you could smoke on the airplane. Witnesses on the flight described him as a man in his 40s, mid-40s, between 5 foot 10 and 6 feet tall, uh, wore a black, uh, lightweight raincoat, he had loafers, a dark suit, uh, pressed white-collared shirt, a black necktie with a mother-of-pearl tie pin. Yeah, white guy. Partway into the flight... Cooper passed a note to uh, Florence Schaffner, a flight attendant, seated nearby him on the, the, you know, the little jump seat that's uh, near the, the back door. Schaffner just assumed that the note was, uh, you know, this, this was just a pervert guy giving, him, giving her his, uh, his phone number, right? Uh, so she dropped it in her purse. And without looking at it, Cooper leaned toward her and whispered, Miss, you'd better look at that note. I have a bomb. She opened the note in neat, all capital letters, written with a felt pen. It said, I have a bomb in my briefcase, and I will use it if necessary. I want you to sit next to me. You are being hijacked. Schaffner did as requested, and then quietly asked to see the bomb. Cooper cracked open the briefcase long enough for her to see... uh, Eight red cylinders attached to wires coated with red insulation and a large cylindrical battery. After closing the briefcase, he dictated his demands. $200,000 in what he called negotiable American currency. Four parachutes, two primary and two reserve, and a fuel truck standing by in Seattle to refuel the aircraft upon arrival. Now, it's important to remember inflation. 
1971 is equivalent to about 1.17 million in 2015. So this is a substantial amount of money, right? And, of course, he wants the plane to land, refuel, and then take off again, right? So he's got a bigger plan at, in the works, right, to try to escape. So he tells her, he tells, uh, you know, the flight attendant, Schaffner, uh, his demands, right? She conveys the instructions uh, to the pilot in the cockpit. She comes back, and he's wearing, he's wearing dark sunglasses, right? 36 other passengers uh, on the plane were informed that they were there was a delay in their arrival. Um, not so as to not, you know, frighten them or anything. And meanwhile, on the ground, uh, Northwest Orient's president, Donald Nyrop, authorized payment of the ransom and uh, ordered, you know, all the employees just cooperate with Mr. Cooper. Uh, the aircraft uh, circled Puget Sound for about two hours, giving Seattle police and FBI time to, you know, get the parachutes, the fuel truck, and, and ransom money together. Uh, Schaffner recalled that, uh, that Cooper seemed to, he was familiar with the local terrain. At one point, the, you know, they were you know, banking, he looks down and he says, oh, it looks like Tacoma down there. And, you know, that was correct. He also mentioned that, uh, you know, uh, what we now call Joint Base Lewis-McChord was a short, you know, 20-minute drive from Seattle. Schaffner described him as calm, polite, well-spoken. He wasn't—he didn't seem nervous. Uh, she told investigators he seemed rather nice. He, was, he wasn't cruel or mean. Uh, he seemed calm the whole time. He ordered another bourbon and water, <laughs> paid his tab, and uh, insisted that Schaffner keep the change. So he was, he was a gentleman, uh, a gentleman hijacker. So FBI agents assembled the ransom money from several Seattle area banks. Uh, 10,000 unmarked $20 bills, many with serial numbers beginning with the letter L, uh, indicating that it was from the Reserve Bank of San Francisco, and most carrying a series uh, 1969-C. So they made microfilm photographs of each bill, okay? so they could, of course, track them later. Uh, Cooper was offered military-issue parachutes, but he, he rejected those. He wanted civilian parachutes with a, a ripcord that you would manually pull uh, after jumping from a plane. So P Seattle police obtained them from a skydiving school. So around uh, 5.24 p.m., Cooper was informed that you know his demands had been met and uh, they landed at 5.39 at Seattle-Tacoma Airport, SeaTac. Cooper instructed the pilot, Scott, to taxi the jet to a brightly lit, isolated section of the runway and extinguished the interior lights in the cabin to deter, you know, maybe a police sharpshooter. Northwest Orient's uh, Seattle operations manager, Al Lee, uh, approached the plane and delivered the cash-filled knapsack and parachutes to Tina McLeod, another uh, flight attendant, via the aft stairs. So at the very back of the plane, there would be a, a staircase that would lower down 
after you could walk up into the plane. Once the delivery was completed, uh, Cooper permitted all passengers, Schaffner and senior flight attendant Alice Hancock, to leave the plane. Okay. During refueling, Cooper outlined his flight plan to the cockpit crew, a southeast course toward Mexico City at the minimum airspeed possible without stalling the aircraft, approximately 100 knots or 120 miles per hour, at a maximum of 10,000 feet. He further specified that the landing gear remained deployed in the you know takeoff land takeoff landing position. The wing flaps be lowered 15 degrees, and the cabin remained unpressurized. So that would that would keep that would ensure that they don't fly too high, right? Co-pilot William Ratajkowski informed Cooper that the aircraft's range was limited to approximately a thousand miles uh, with that configuration which meant that they would need to land somewhere for another refueling. So, allegedly, Cooper and the crew discussed their options, and they agreed that they would stop in on, for another refuel in Reno, Nevada. So, Cooper directed the plane to take off with the rear exit door open and the staircase extended, right? So, a big staircase coming out of the tail of the plane. Northwest Orient's uh, home office objected that saying that it was unsafe to take off with the staircase deployed would create too much drag, right? And they probably wouldn't become airborne. Cooper agreed that he would lower it himself once they were airborne. It's like, okay, there was a, a lever, you know, a switch in the back there that you could lower it manually. So at approximately 7.40 p.m., the 7.27 took off with only... Uh, this gentleman Cooper, uh, pilot Scott, flight attendant Mucklow, and co-pilot Ratajkowski, and a flight engineer H.E. Anderson. Two uh, F-106 fighters uh, scrambled from McCord Air Force Base to kind of escort the plane, one above it and one below out of Cooper's view. A uh, Lockheed T-33 trainer uh, was doing Air National Guard mission and was diverted to uh, follow the 727 uh, until it had to turn back near the Oregon-California border. After takeoff, Cooper told Mucklow to join the rest of the crew in the cockpit and remain there with the door closed. As she complied, Mucklow observed Cooper tying something around his waist. At approximately 8 p.m., a warning light flashed in the cockpit, indicating that the aft air stair apparatus had been activated. The crew's offer of assistance via the intercom was curtly refused. The crew soon noticed a subjective change of air pressure, indicating that that, that aft door was open. At approximately 8.13 p.m., the aircraft's tail section suddenly uh, sustained a sudden upward movement, significant enough to require them to uh, trim the plane to bring it back to a level flight. So it, it uh, the tail went up, pointing the nose down, right, which would mean that the tail was now lighter. Right? At approximately 10:15 p.m., Scott and Ratajkowski landed the 727 with the aft air stair still deployed at Reno Airport. FBI agents, state troopers, sheriff's deputies, and Reno police surrounded the jet as it had not yet been determined whether or not Cooper was on board. 
but they quick the plane, they quickly searched the plane and found that he was gone. Now this would be just a crime, right? <laughs> this is just a, a robbery. Except that D.B. Cooper, his, his remains, the money has never been found. But of course, with that kind of money on the line, an effort was made. A very large effort. So, once the investigation began, uh, aboard the airliner, FBI agents discovered uh, 66 unidentified fingerprints. Uh, Cooper had left his uh, black clip-on tie with that mother of, ter- uh, mother of pearl tie clip, and they found two out of the four parachutes, one of which was uh, had been opened, and shroud lines had been cut from its canopy. Remember, he he was seen tying something around his waist, right? and and actually one of the parachutes was a, a a dummy that had been accidentally given to him. The FBI hadn't intended to give him a dummy parachute, but uh, it was a like a training parachute that wouldn't open. So it's possible that <laughs> the criminal mastermind maybe uh, jumped from the plane with a, a non-functioning parachute or. Uh, you know, maybe he I figured out that it was not a functioning parachute. We never know. Anyway. So everybody who was who personally talked to Cooper or interacted with him uh, was, in, was interviewed and composite sketches were created. Uh, they immediately, you know, FBI and local police began questioning suspects. Uh, and one of the first who was uh, questioned was an Oregon man with a minor record uh, with the police named D.B. Cooper, contacted by police, uh, by Portland police, on the off chance that maybe he used his real name, you know. Uh, but he was quickly ruled out. However, uh, a reporter, uh, one of two reporters, I'm not sure who, uh, you know, trying to get out a, a headline, confused the, his, his name with uh, the pseudonym and printed the name as D.B. Cooper. This became lodged in the public's collective memory, and thus, uh, you know, Cooper, just, you know, just a, you know, Dan Cooper, became the infamous D.B. Cooper of legend. Now, when they were trying to define a search area, it was difficult because uh, they varied in altitude, uh, aircraft speed, and the uh, environmental conditions along the flight path, right? Uh, Changed where Cooper would have maybe come down as well as how long he was in free fall before he pulled his ripcord if he indeed pulled it at all. None of the, the Air Force planes that were following saw anything exit the plane, neither visually or with radar. They didn't see a parachute open, but at night, with extremely limited visibility, there were, they were flying into a rainstorm at the time. Uh, it would have been hard to see a, a, a human figure in black uh, leave the plane. The FBI recreated the jump by using a 200-pound sled, and they pushed it you know, out that, uh, that back air stair. And they were able to reproduce that uh, upward tail motion 
that caused them the crew to have to readjust the plane. And so based on that experiment, you know, you can conclude that he did in fact jump at 8, 8.13 p.m. Where exactly they were when he did that and then how long he fell and all this kind of stuff broadened the uh, potential drop zones immensely, right? So FBI agents and sheriff's deputies searched large areas of the mountains and the wilderness on foot and by helicopter. Uh, door-to-door searches of local farmhouses were carried out, and other search parties ran patrol boats along Lake Merwin and Yale Lake, a man-made reservoir uh, that made, might have been the drop zone. They found no trace of Cooper or any of the equipment. The FBI also coordinated an aerial search uh, using fixed-wing aircraft and helicopters from Oregon Army National Guard and followed the entire flight path from Seattle to Reno. Nothing was found. In early 1972, spring thaw, uh, teams of FBI agents aided by 200 soldiers from Fort Lewis, along with uh, Air Force personnel, National Guard, and civilian volunteers, conducted another search of the ground for 18 days in March, and then an additional 18 days in April. Uh, Electronic Explorations Company, uh, who do marine salvage, used a submarine to search the depths of Lake Merwin. Uh, Ultimately, the search operation, arguably the most extensive and intensive in U.S. history, uncovered no significant evidence relating to the hijacking. In 1978, a placard containing instructions for lowering the aft stairs of a 727 was found by a deer hunter. Uh, about 13 miles east of Castle Rock, Washington. Pretty far north of Lake Merwin, but uh, within the flight path of Flight 305. Now, in February 1980, an eight-year-old boy named Brian Ingram, vacationing with his family on the Columbia River, uh, about nine miles downstream from Vancouver, Washington, and 20 miles southwest of Ariel, uncovered three packets of the ransom cash, significantly disintegrated, but it was still bundled with rubber bands. Uh, FBI technicians confirmed that the money was indeed some of the ransom money, uh, two packets of $120 bills, and a third packet of 90 arranged in the same order as when they had been given to Cooper. Now, that was the only money that's ever been found. Uh, the... From here, the possible suspects just spalls out in all directions. People have claimed to be D.B. Cooper. Uh, people have been accused of being D.B. Cooper. Uh, the, the theories are almost endless. Uh, that he was a, a CIA uh, operative, that uh, he knew how to use the 727 to, because they dropped supplies to you know behind enemy lines in Vietnam. Uh, he, there was, uh, it was thought that he might be a, uh, one of an employee of Orient Airlines because the money, this is part of the genius, right? Is the money was insured. And this is why, <laughs> this is why D.B. Cooper is either an American hero or an asshole because maybe, maybe both, maybe he could be both. I don't know, but he, he no one was hurt except maybe himself we don't you don't necessarily know if it was actually a bomb that he had right 
And it's not like he robbed people. He robbed an insurance company of, you know, over a million dollars, right? It's just, and he maybe, maybe he got away with it. It's a, it's a brilliant caper. It's fantastic. You can't write this stuff. So, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, it's a caper. He he maybe pulled it off, you know, uh db cooper whatever his real name is you know he he's either an asshole or an american hero maybe he's both maybe he could be both but um you know part of you hopes that he pulled it off and he's somewhere lived out his days sipping mai tais on a beach and being massaged by swarthy skinned native girls right (laughs) and just living the dream Ugh. Ugh. I'm not. I'm not advocating anybody hijack a plane and try to defraud an insurance company of a million dollars or anything. I'm just saying, you know, if you can make it work, you know. Anyways, um, Kyle Style Podcast. Thanks for listening once again. Uh, be sure to follow me on Twitter uh, at K Style Podcast. Uh, go to the GoFundMe page. Throw me a few dollars. And I'm hoping to uh, get another episode up a little faster turnaround this time. Uh, Hopefully get something up next week. I just got to finish reading a book and figure out what I think about it. And uh, thanks for listening. Check back with me. And uh, good night and good luck.